Greetings and welcome to Cool Radio Stories, a podcast for independent radio stations in small to medium-sized markets, presented by Cool Radio Streaming. Now here's your host, Tom Dobrez. Welcome to our podcast today. I'm Tom Dobrez, owner of Cool Radio Streaming, and with us today is a gentleman that is living proof that a single standalone AM-FM radio station in a small market can not only survive, but thrive in today's media world. We welcome Dave Richards from WOON AM and FM in one socket. Dave, thanks for joining us. Well, thank you for having me, Tom. Well, we are so looking forward to hearing your cool radio story. But first, I'm going to make a few programming notes for our listeners. We remind everyone that we're recording this during the COVID-19 crisis. It's had a tremendous impact on all sorts of businesses, radio stations included. And though we're beginning to see the economy reopen with positive signs in places where we are still in a state of the great unknown. And we'd like to hear Dave's thoughts about some survival tactics for radio stations in the during this conversation. But I'm going to table that towards the end of our show. I'm also going to inform the listener that we will hear from attorney John Garziglia during our Ask John segment. We'll ask John about some pressing legal matters in the radio world, and we'll also check in with John Wenzung of Radio Max for his insight on our audio column called Digging Into Digital. But first things first, Dave, let's start at the beginning. I'm always curious to hear the answer, and I start all interviews with the same question. What was radio job number one? Well, that's a, a very long answer. I hope you have a, an hour here, Tom. The uh, first, the earth cooled. Now let's move it forward a little bit. Um, when I was four years old, I heard my mother call in the local radio station and win a prize on the radio out in the kitchen. I was fascinated. And uh, over the years, I never lost that fascination. By the time I was 11, I was imitating people. By the time I was 13, I built a part 13 transmitter from stuff I found in the library books and uh, stuff we uh, got out of the uh, the waste, the, the, uh, back in those days, you used to be able to take things uh, from the landfill. And uh, so I started doing that. And by the time I was 16, I was hired by the station that I have now owned for 30 years. So you have been at the same radio station yeah. from the day you started. Um, yeah, there was a time when I was, a, uh, you know, uh, just getting my real career established and everything that I actually did work for 50,000 water in Boston that doesn't exist anymore. Uh, and then I came to the uh, point, uh, in my, uh, early thirties where I had to decide whether I'd be a big fish in a small pond or a small fish in a big pond. So I, uh, called up one of my friends who was the quintessential big fish in the small pond. His name is Salty Brine. He did, uh, 30 something years and, uh, 33 years, I think it was in uh, Providence, uh, radio and television. And I asked him, what do you think? What's the upside? What's the downside? And it's, it's funny, uh, Tom, that he answered me. I felt like I was in one of those karate kid movies. He answered me like he was the sensei in riddles. He says, just keep asking yourself this question, Dave. What are the people who own the station going to do for you five, 10 years from now? I said, well, Salty, that's silly because they buy and sell them like apartment houses. 
uh, you, you can never know that. There, there's no commitment to the workers. So we, we understand this, but I still love the business. As he says, just keep asking yourself that question. I drove home and finally Don broke on Marblehead about four miles away. I realized he said, get into ownership. Uh, and uh, so I did. And in 1990, we purchased the station. Well, it's a town of about uh, 30,000 and change. Um, sometimes it's up to uh, 40. Uh, and it's nestled in a the center of a triangle between Worcester, Massachusetts, Boston, Massachusetts, and Providence, Rhode Island. And uh, we have signals from all of these uh, cities uh, coming in, plus your usual pay cable and everything else. Lots and lots and lots and lots of media. Tough to be small, uh, but uh, we found a way to do it because our heritage at this station that I was indoctrinated with uh, when I first arrived in 1971 when I turned 16 is the local community always comes first. When Socket is the center of the universe, put all your ideas of being big aside and embrace your smallness. Take care of the local people first. And thank goodness I learned that lesson or I wouldn't be in business today. All right, so you're at the only job you've ever had, at least in radio, and you've been here now for three decades. Why don't you share with us? Uh, obviously, there's some highlights and some lowlights, but let's just start with the highlights. Well, as I said, I was very, very lucky to listen to my elders uh, when I was uh, just an employee and to drink the local Kool-Aid. Had I not done that and had I done what I thought radio was and should have been when I first got here, I would have surely failed because you just can't go up against the uh, big uh, marketing companies, the uh, huge uh, places that have uh, 12, 14 stations in the stable, 50,000 watt FMs and stuff like that. You can't play that game and expect to uh, win. So you have to find the niche. And rule 101 in marketing is always find out what you can do that your competition won't. And there you go. So I, I hung my hat on that. Since then, it's just a matter of being square with everyone. And by that, I mean being honest and fair with them. Uh, don't just make the sale. Make sure that you're going to make money for your advertiser. You uh, win a, a great uh, reputation that way. And then uh, watch your... Um, Watch your image and make sure that none of your help is uh, going astray either. We hire very, very carefully. And uh, there's a probationary period where, we, you know, you're just not going to make it in the small market. I Let me make a recommendation. I'll call up somebody I know at one of the other stations and get you a job over there because I don't want you to be out of work. But I don't want you here. Um, I've been that honest with a number of people. Uh, one of them is working in Washington, another in Tucson, a couple in Boston and uh, like that and having very good, very good careers because they were right. They just didn't they just didn't match for here. So you asked about how you uh, succeed. And it's always trying to look ahead and uh, augment what you're doing and still do it on your own terms. In 1994, I thought the Web was going to be big stuff. I guess I was right. Uh, and in 1994, I tried to stream. Well, nobody in 1994 really knew how to do streaming right. Nobody. And I mean, even the large national company that, I don't know, if, if, if memory serves, it later became Yahoo. But it was a, a, an earlier company. At least that's the story I remember. And, and they said, oh, you just take uh, your little AM radio and you go over to your internet service provider and you put it on top of the computer and you stream into the internet there. I said, okay, what happens during a lightning storm? And have you ever heard an AM radio station 
being received in a room full of computers. He said, well, that's how everybody does it. Get lost. Uh, I just kept searching and searching until I found an ISP man who understood what we wanted to do. We used ISDN lines. We had a nice clean feed. If the transmitter dumped for any reason or there was bad reception for any reason, uh, we were still on the Internet. And of course, when we started, it only took a few weeks before I realized you could also do video on that same stream. So we did that. But back in 1998, when we started streaming, it was 56K modems were an improvement to what we started on. And uh, the 56K modems, we rejoiced because now the slideshow was faster on all the live video that you were putting into it. It's still posted stamp size, but it was faster. And then uh, after that, of course, when broadband came in, everything started going uh, nuts. And so it's that, um, using technology to augment the oldest mass media, if you don't count newspapers, I mean, AM radio. It was that that uh, has kept us growing uh, through all the tough times. And there's still a part of digital broadcasting and Internet that I've held back. Uh, that is probably going to be the next step in the future as well because of COVID-19. So uh, that's what you do. You just plan ahead. You make your dreams. You pace them out. And to make sure the rest of the crew is behind you and hire carefully. I have been blessed with the most wonderful staffs here. And, and there's an awful lot to unpack there, Dave. Uh, we have, of course, the, the website and your digital content that I want to talk about. I want to talk about your hiring practices, what you've learned about managing people and keeping the team strong. But first, let's go to the what you said at the very beginning about connecting to the community. How... Uh, what are some of the specific tactics and strategies that you're using there at WON to do that? Well, uh, just love them to death. Everybody who's listening, you don't judge them. You just love them to death. Uh, uh, the format on the station is the same format it was when it went on the air in 1946. And I never changed it because it always worked. It's you do everything that the local audience wants and you do it locally. Yes, we broadcast you know, Boston Bruins and Boston Celtics and the Red Sox and the Patriots and stuff like that. It's only to the local audience. And we don't try to be big about it. It's just to what they're looking for. And because we also include with that uh, Little League uh, baseball games and all the high school sports, uh, football and stuff. And hockey was is very big in this area because of Mount St. Charles Academy. And you just keep on doing this over and over and over again. Just, just love people and give them what they want. That's all there is to it. And make sure that the advertisers are all taken care of. Well, of course, you shop locally. You go in and you... Uh, you everybody here at the station uh, is a salesperson. And everybody here at the station, um, except for the fabulous Denise, is an announcer. So there's a connection between, hey, so-and-so, hey, would you play that song from, I don't know, the Beatles or the Rolling Stones or something like that when you're on this afternoon? No problem. Three o'clock, I'll play you the song. Or they might call in and you take care of them there. Uh, that's, it's all super serving. You, you got you to gotta drink the local Kool-Aid. You can't just say, and it's a, quite a well-used catchphrase, connect to the community. You got to be part of it. You got to give, give, give. Show up at the, the local fishing derby that the Yelks puts on with the city. Take 300 photographs of youngsters landing trout that have been freshly stocked in the pond before opening day of fishing season. And, and then put those on the website and let them take them down for free. Hand out your business card to everybody, take a picture of and have them go to the website. You know, 
if it's hard for you, it's probably good for your audience. If it's easy for you, it's probably not good for your customers or your audience. More truer words were never spoken, Dave, and I uh, kind of concur. And of course, that's basically what we carry the banner here is servicing that local. In fact, it was explained to me once by a programmer who said it's really not important the music you play, but what you play in between the music that matters. Absolutely. You just try to keep the audience during the music uh, and find music that not everybody else is playing, obviously, and that's, uh, that works for us. But mostly it's all, you're playing music when you don't have any other high profile, specially produced local programming going. And then, of course, every time we're playing music, we're always taking requests. The request line's open. It doesn't make any difference. It will it can switch over if nobody else is on duty to my cell phone. I can log into the computer, play the song. And we have uh, 15,000 active uh, pop songs ready to play at a moment's notice. And, uh, obviously, over 100,000 on the drives that we can throw in in a couple of minutes' notice. Yeah, well, and I, I do want to say musically, I've listened to the station. I've heard everybody from Elvis Presley to Kiss yeah. to Frank Sinatra. Yeah. So musically, I... You I missed Led you, Zeppelin. Oh, I missed Led Zeppelin. So we had a request for Led Zeppelin on Friday. We played it just before the high school graduation, which we broadcast live. And not only broadcast live, we went around for all of senior week and we videoed and recorded a highlight reel for a half an hour of all the various things, the awards ceremonies and things like that. And uh, all of the, uh, the, the things that go on. And it's all for Winsocket. Winsocket's the center of the universe. You always have to remember that. That's the first rule we were taught here. And then you take that and you put it on. And they, we've received enormous thanks for that, and including from the school uh, online newspaper and the uh, faculty and the, uh, the administration for doing those sorts of things. And the, the audience loves it, too. And that's all before their virtual graduation. But before that started, somebody wanted to hear a whole lot of love by Led Zeppelin. So we did it uh, just this afternoon. People, they were looking for Andy Williams song. So I played that, too. Uh, that's why you'll hear just about anything. It goes against every rule those program directors that were trying to teach me something when I was much, much younger taught, but it works. So you keep what works, Tom. Indeed. So let's talk about some of the things that are working for you. Let's start with your online presence. I'm glad you asked me that, Tom, because um, there has been one theme and one theme only for our visual website and web pages since we started that in 1994. And I say it's real simple. Give them buttons to push to get sound and video media. And that is the top priority of that website. And that's why when you go there, I've had many people laugh. I can't tell you how many web people get a hold of me and say, yeah, we could fix that for you. Uh, But that's what we want right now. We want it to be simple. We want it to be friendly. We want you to be able to find anything you want to listen to or watch. And it's all right there, including the, the local forecasts and things like that, podcasts of the programs like everybody else puts on. But uh, we were doing it in 1998. Yeah, well, I, I didn't want to comment now, about the site, but I think if our listeners go to it, I'm going to. Yeah, it's a laugh. <laughs> <I'm going> to, <laughs> it's a laugh, Tom. But it does what it is designed to do. It's designed to be a litany of push buttons for media we're a, we're a media company. I'm not a website, dude. The website is used by us on our own terms just to do that. Did you notice how many ads are on it? I see maybe one. One. One simple stationary ad that's been there for six years because that bank begged me to put it there. 
because we generally don't sell digital advertising on the website. There's two reasons. First of all, I as an individual uh, notice how little I pay attention to ads on other people's websites. And I don't believe that I'm giving my people, my advertisers, a fair deal if I sell them digital under those conditions. Now, uh, since you opened the door, I'll move on to something you didn't ask, but I alluded to earlier, Tom, and that is that with COVID-19, we've seen sales drop. It's natural. I mean, uh, we have a lot of local businesses who had to shutter and then they're opening up and they're, they don't have the same cash flow they had before. And they know that what we're doing is valuable. So I did two things. First of all, I said, uh, everybody, you guys are on with us all year long. Guess what? We're running free ads for you. There's a whole category of free ad. We're putting the ads in there. And I know that you'll be back with us and pay for the ads when this thing is over. Can't tell you what kind of goodwill that builds. Tremendous goodwill. Uh, and then uh, after that, I said, well, uh, since we do a lot of spring, winter, and fall sports, and we generally don't broadcast a lot of baseball, what we do do is we do a lot of fairs and festivals. I have a converted old uh, ambulance, one of those cube type ambulances, you know, and we converted it to high, high definition television and we do radio and TV remotes from there at all the fairs and festivals, the Friday night concerts in the park and all the rest of that. Um, there's a three day festival in October. Guess what? They're all canceled. The truck is sitting there, hasn't had a job all year. And usually we use it for graduation, but that, of course, was virtual. So I'm looking at it, I'm saying, how are we going to replace this money? And we've been keeping in our breast pocket a totally separate website from what we have now that we can put online and sell digital ads. And that looks like the decision we're going to make to try to uh, make the difference. I don't know if we'll keep it there, but it's going to take care of balancing the books for a while. And we do have people asking us about uh, ads on the website, and we generally say we don't take them. Uh, but the uh, answer will be different next time. It's it's been it's been in our back pockets. We've it's an asset we've been saving to develop when we needed it. We didn't need it before. Are you measuring website visits? Are you looking at that as uh, analytics and metrics that are important? Oh gosh, <laughs> I I don't think there's a radio station out there that ever looked at the numbers that hasn't had to pick their jaw up off the floor after they uh, saw the numbers of how many people went online and started consuming you. Uh, I'll tell you, uh, we we uh, hired you out to do uh, streams for us, and boy, those are a lot of streams. <laughs> And um, it was amazing what the numbers were, because I remember when we first started streaming and we were like the big dog on the porch. We didn't have much competition in streaming. Um, we had some really impressive numbers, but nothing like after COVID uh, hit in uh, mid-March around here. And uh, I was very, very lucky to have made your acquaintance at the time that I did, because it put us in a good position to uh, be able to gather in an audience that uh, we really needed at the time and was there to, for the taking. Yeah, and I appreciate that. But also, I will say that from a national uh, streaming company's perspective, we noticed tremendous jumps uh, throughout the entire process of COVID, which just showed me that A, radio continues to be important and vital to listeners' days, even if they're not getting in their car and driving to work and listening, that they still need that. And they will find a way to get your program, so you best be there for them. Isn't that an interesting thing, Tom? Because I learned that, too, at a very early age here in southern New England. 
I observed uh, while I was still in my young years in this business uh, that people will inconvenience themselves to get what they want. If they, if what they want is a little hard to get, they'll inconvenience themselves. I noticed that because there was a UHF TV station, and back in the 60s and 70s, it wasn't easy running a UHF TV station because your VHF TV stations were far more receivable. In fact, I don't. it was somewhere around there that the FCC mandated that all TVs had to have both VHF and UHF tuners because in the beginning they didn't. So it was run by the Diocese of Boston, the Roman Catholic Diocese of Boston. They sold it to a bunch of real entrepreneurial guys who went out and got the contract to broadcast the Boston Bruin hockey games and the uh, Boston Red Sox baseball games and all that because those games were a hindrance for the VHF stations that had the network contracts and things. So uh, they got it, and I can't tell you how many people were up on top of their roofs putting UHF antennas up there, pointed toward Boston so they could get those programs. And it taught me a great lesson put something on they can't get anywhere else so let's talk about what those things are they can't get anywhere else what are some of those special programming items or day-to-day things you're doing in between the songs as we said to help uh, endure yourself to your audience well i know that uh the um I've mentioned already the requests, and I don't know any station that uh, could be bothered to you know, open up request lines and go find songs, stop their work, and go get a song on the air for you. It just doesn't happen uh, anymore uh, on any station that I can listen to around here. Um, but it's, it's not just that. It's the uh, stopping programming for the Woonsocket City Council meetings, the Woonsocket School Committee meetings, any local thing that's going on, a special announcement. Um, when they uh, had to, uh, they had the demonstrations, which turned violent a couple of towns over. Uh, there was the special reports out from the scene, and then as the local baseball games, that again you can't get on any other channel because nobody else will bother with them because they're so hyper local. You do all those things, and that makes up a mix of uh, programs that. I can't believe people are listening to it in England and Germany with great interest, it seems. Trinidad and Tobago, who's been with us from the very beginning, is still listening to us, and they're not sick of it. Um, and, and these are people I have no frame of reference with Woonsocket, Rhode Island, but it's different. It's not like you turn on a corporate broadcast station, and generally speaking, except for a certain small aspects, the large majority of it is the same as the other station that's playing, I don't know, um, adult contemporary in, you know, another big city owned by the same corporate people. So um, when you have something different that uh, the competition does not have, that's what is, it's going to draw an audience. Can I sell ads because I have those listeners in England or Germany or Trinidad and Tobago or even Florida, South Carolina or Arizona or California? No, it doesn't matter. It's all part of the experience. You see, Tom, I grew up listening to a bunch of radio stations. And one of them that I liked an awful lot was WBZ in Boston. I think a lot of people in the country have heard of that station because it's a big 50,000-watt directional powerhouse. And they direct their signal across the North American continent. And uh, I happen to be only 35 miles away from them, so they're a local for me. But people would tune in overnight when the uh, skip would bring it in for all over the country to listen to this thing. And I would listen to it day and night. Did I know anything about Boston? Could I go to Boston and trade with their local hot dog vendor or anything else? No, I suppose I could. But hey, as a kid, I wasn't going to do it anyway. But I was part of that big groundswell of support that whenever someone mentioned that station's name, someone 
recognized it, someone had something good to say about it. So whether or not you can monetize your audience, from a business standpoint, yes, it's important, especially if you have to worry about return on investment. I'm not neglecting that. But there is an intrinsic value to having people who aren't in your trade area listening to your station. Well, and I, I agree with that. And you, you bring up, uh, you know, the Boston radio station in Chicago. There used to be a Wally Phillips on WGN in Chicago and people would mm-hmm. literally call him for directions to a store or something on the air. Uh, oh, sure. You know, that's a major market. Oh, that was a major market radio. And yet it was the most popular radio station. And so, and isn't that the biggest, isn't Tom's forgive me for interrupting, but isn't that the biggest compliment you can pay someone is when you treat them, even though they're a stranger, like a friend, when you ask them for help uh, and trust in them, you show some trust and some affection for them, even though they're still technically a stranger, uh, that's the biggest compliment you can pay somebody. Well, Dave, we're going to put a pin in that for now, and we're going to uh, take a short break to hear a little bit from John Garziglia on the uh, state of law and media. And uh, But when we return, I want to ask a little bit about your team and how you recruit and how you get them to do all those amazing things that we've been talking about when we return to hear the cool radio story of Dave Richards. It's time to ask John. A regular feature where we ask John Garziglia, a partner with the FCC law firm Womble Bond Dickinson, about legal matters facing the broadcast radio industry. Today's email bag has an appropriate question concerning a takedown notice from a political issue or party. John, what do you do if your radio station is faced with a request to take down a particular ad? Call your lawyer. And then assuming you have uh, errors and emissions insurance, uh, and I hope you do. Notify your insurance uh, carrier if the communication, the takedown letter, suggests uh, or threatens to sue or otherwise fits your insurance requirements for such a notification of a uh, potential claim. Broadcasters should keep in mind with errors and emissions insurance that the most important part of that type of insurance for content-related actions in particular where someone is claiming uh, you defamed or libeled them or otherwise complaining about your content is the... uh, defense that insurance carrier provides, the the money for the lawyers to defend the station. Most legal actions over content never get to the stage where somebody actually uh, gets a judgment and money has to be paid, but defending it, defending that claim uh, in court can run into the tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars. We're back. I'm Tom Dobrez with Cool Radio Streaming, hosting Cool Radio Stories here on the podcast. Our guest today is Dave Richards, general manager, owner of WOON in One Socket, Rhode Island. We've been chatting with Dave about the uh, pretty incredible programming that he provides on a single standalone AM FM up in a small town of One Socket. And he has been sharing some pretty good, interesting things they're doing online as well as uh, on programming on air. And I wanted to ask you, Dave, a little bit about your staff, your recruitment, and uh, how you go about making sure you have uh, the best people or how you get and recruit the best people to do what you're trying to do there. Well, I'm very lucky that my staff is so stable. I don't hire often. I don't have to. 
because the people that I have here are right for the job, and by and large, they stay. The person on my staff that has been here the least amount of time has been here for uh, eight or nine years. And that includes uh, part-timers. So we have an enormous longevity in the staff, and that also helps on the air, especially with such a high percentage of the staff actually goes on the air. But when we are looking at uh, an applicant or look to, to fill an opening, as we probably will be during the last part of this year because uh, we're, we're expecting some growth, the, um, I'm looking for somebody who listens to the station because otherwise they won't get it. I'm looking for someone who at least their parents listen to the station so they might have a clue of getting it. I also look for people who seem to be willing to really do different things, quirky things, things that aren't just clock in nine to five. I would prefer if I have a ch opportunity not to, to hire someone who needs a job. And the reason I say it that way, of course, is a difference to me between a job and a career. I'm looking for someone who really wants to probably step through the station to other stations if they are looking for a bigger career or if they're local and they want to stay local, that they'll come here and they really want to be part of what they hear on the air and the part of what we uh, are part of the community uh, doing. So if they don't get it and they don't um, uh, approve uh, of uh, what we're doing or they don't, well, I, I'd say love, but you know, that's, that's probably too strong. But if they don't really engage with what we're doing with the station, they probably won't be a good fit and they'll probably be unhappy down the line. And somewhere along the line, you know, every job's got its upside and downside, things you like about the jobs, things you don't like about the job. Even the owner has that. Uh, and the, and 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 the, the job that you keep is the job that has the flavor of stuff you don't like that you can tolerate. And uh, we hope that uh, we find people like that. And then once they're here, it's kind of like bring them into the family, uh, give them the keys, uh, show them what's uh, everything's uh, and watch them for a couple of months. And we tell them right away. Well, for a, let's try this out for a few months and see how this is going to work, because if it isn't working for either one of us, it's not a deal. And uh, we'll have to separate. But I guarantee you, I have four rules that I run the radio station by. You're going to have a job description, and it's not going to be a book like you get at corporate broadcasting with uh, dozens of pages in it addressing every possible conceivable thing, but it's going to be four rules, and those four rules will address everything that will likely happen to you on the job with the rule number four being a catch-all rule of calling for help from any member of the staff for those things that just don't seem to fit that, you're, that you have to make a decision about. And if you make decisions based on those four rules while you are here. It doesn't matter what goes wrong. I will take the punishment for you. If you forget one of the four, uh, four rules, then I will step aside and you'll take your licks. And uh, so everybody knows where they stand and they are enabled to take chances and make mistakes. And I pay for the mistakes, but it's all part of growing a great crew. And that's how I feel very deeply has been part of my success down through all these years. And as far as management style is concerned, that's the keystone that you enable good people who have a good heart and want to do what the station has to do. You enable them to take chances and make mistakes. 
and you enable them with equipment, technology, or whatever to try out new ideas and encourage new ideas and let them fly even if you think you're not, they're not going to work. They'll learn. And then beyond that, reward them as much as we can for our size market. Now, I told you the size of Woonsocket. Uh, quite frankly, we're selling ads between 5 and $10 a piece. you got to sell a whole lot of ads to make money with those kinds of prices. But that's where the market is right now. And uh, there's all kinds of reasons I won't get into for that, but that's just the way it is. There's so many stations around. and the, but, but when you're selling for that, you can't really afford to compensate somebody embarrassingly well, which is one of the only two reasons somebody ever works for a company, that A, they're being compensated embarrassingly well, or they like what they're doing. We kind of hang our hat on they like what they're doing. But by the same token, I will not pay minimum wage to anyone just won't. It might be only a quarter, a half a dollar more, maybe a dollar more, but I will not pay minimum wage to anybody. It's just a sign of respect from management and it works. We are most fortunate and I think the envy of many of our listeners to have a staff that's been with you that long, uh, but they're all probably thinking the same thing I'm thinking. <laughs> Do you mind sharing with us? Uh, and I also feel a, a title of this podcast being developed there. What are those four rules by which you ask your employees to uh, understand? Well, I'll give you the short version because uh, each one has a couple of sentences. Um, the number one rule is to always make sure when you're making decisions and you're doing your job that the radio station is a good friend and a member of the family to both the listening audience and a good business partner to the advertisers and businesses in the area. And that doesn't mean that, oh, if they advertise, no, to every business in the area, whether they're advertising now or not, they're all potential supporters and advertisers of the station. And how that can manifest itself is you've got a snowstorm coming down, and we get snowstorms here in New England all the time. And uh, you might be doing a, a record shift or something or reading a forecast, and uh, you look out and the snow is just you know, just coming down, you say, hey, wowie, is it snowing out there? Um, stay in and listen to, uh, you know, the music uh, tonight. And then what you've done in one breath is you've told people not to go outside. And the next thing you do is push a button and play a commercial from the Chinese restaurant. And how do you think the guy at the Chinese restaurant feels about paying his 10 bucks for that ad? after you just told everybody to stay in. No, we never tell people what to do. We relay orders from government what to do. And of course, that whole thing I just explained about the request, and if they need something, somebody calls me up and they want to know what the high temperature is going to be tomorrow, the next day in the forecast, you stop and you, and you tell them. We always answer the phone here. We have an answering machine. It's in the news department. It's used by the vice president of the city council to call in news reports. Or it might be for a news reporter if we have to go that way. But the answering machine is very, very, uh, very infrequently used. And it's only in the news or on the news line. Everything else, if there's somebody in the building or we relayed it, now with COVID-19, we do a lot of relays, then somebody answers the phone at all hours. That's very important. 
how, how much better can you be a friend and a member of the family than to play a song and sing happy birthday to uh, the five-year-old grandson or something like that, to show up at the fishing derby and take pictures of the kids taking uh, fish and then give them the pictures for nothing on a free download. How, that's very important. And, of course, I already outlined the business partner. We're still on rule number one. Rule number two. Rule number two is uh, very, very um, – it's very simple. It's know your tools, uh, everybody who works here is responsible for knowing what every piece of equipment does. I know they don't do that in a lot of stations. Oh, that's none of your business. No, no, no. It's always some of your business in a small station. Everybody could be called upon to help somebody do something. There could be an emergency. You might have to keep something on the air. Even the traffic person knows how to get the automation system on the air and to plug this in and to, uh, to get, make sure there's programming going out and to call for help for someone else to come and do it. That's number four. So, they, knowing your tools, we give them a reasonable amount of time, but you have to know what every piece of equipment does and what to do if it doesn't do what it's supposed to do. All right. And the third one is a professional attitude. It's passing the torch. When you finish your shift and something's happened during your shift that the next person should know about, you write a note, paper and pencil, paper and pen. You write a note, leave it on the control board. Next person, if they do not directly relieve you, after a few hours, we'll come in and they'll see what went on during your shift. Very, very important. So it's friend, member of the family, good business partner. Then it's uh, know your tools, pass the torch, and call for help. Well, those seem pretty simple to follow. Well, it's a job description, Tom. And uh, if they keep to all four of those things, I will take whatever punishment comes down the line if something goes wrong. So realistically, they are humans involved. Mistakes will be made. But if the individual is acting uh, within the framework of those four rules, corporate yourself are going to kind of shield him and or her and take uh, the heat for that. Because they're working the mission, Tom. If they're working the mission, that whole thing, the four rules, if they're working the mission, they're doing their job. Something's going to go wrong for everybody. It goes wrong for me sometimes. So uh, they've got to know what's right and what's wrong and where the line is. It seems to me that one of the positive uh, circumstances of that will be that as long as they know the boundaries and what they need to be doing on a day-to-day -day basis, they're going to take some chances and they're going to go out there, which is only going to help the company, knowing also that the company's got their back. Sure. How many of us have worked for corporate radio stations where it's a lot of politics? Oh, well, the boss doesn't like this. Oh, the boss doesn't like that. And if the boss changes, you got to learn a whole new set of do's and don'ts. Um, that's, that's, that's not easy for people to grow and be creative in those circumstances, uh, when they don't know where the walls are or if they keep moving the, the, the goalposts. Well, and I like your idea of also teaching them what every uh, piece of, you know, the best you can, what everything in the building does. <laughs> oh, sure. They don't have to be proficient. They just have to know. Right. Right. Because you never know when that emergency is going to happen and someone exactly. might reset the computer that is doing this for you. That's right. right. And it's best that they uh, know where that's at. So you have a number of uh, staff members that are really multifunctional. They're most mm -hmm. of them you said are on air. Uh, most of them are also then selling. Is it kind of selling on their own terms? Are they going out with a list to, to come up with or are they connecting the individuals they know? How, how is that process? 
working. Well, because you're in the community all the time. You're here in Woonsocket, North Smithfield, Bellingham. You, know, you see the store. You're just driving by. You see the stores opening up. You hear about this. You look at Facebook. You know what's going on because you're involved. From then, it's just simply making their acquaintance, say, we do this, this, and this. Is there any way I can help you make some money? No? When could I come back? It's real simple. Or you just might know somebody because we're a fairly close-lit community. You might just know those people already, or maybe they listen to you on the radio and they think they know you. Believe me, it's a lot easier making a sale when they heard you on the radio and you sang happy birthday to their 10-year-old granddaughter or, or whatever. It's a whole lot easier when you walk in and you've already done something for them for them to give you time and tell you what's going on. You can do a tell me call or whatever. Um, I do not have a strict rule of what you're going to do. It's all about results. And I tell even my top salesperson over here, I, I say, look, what are they buying today? If they're buying this, then we're selling this. You can tell, you can get a sense when you're in there. If, if they need this kind of help, if they need that kind of help, then that's what we're going to develop and present it to them. If it's hard for us, it's good for them. But if I just put together a bunch of packages or promotions and stuff like that, go around and say, okay, who wants them? Who wants them? Who wants them? That's just not how you sell in a small market. Ain't going to happen. And never, never any high pressure. Ever. Okay, uh, Dave, you said something earlier that intrigued me, and that was that you felt you were going to grow. You said you might hire somebody in the upcoming future because you just felt like you were going to have a, a, a growth. Where do you see that growth coming? Is it based on where you were set back to in COVID or are you planning things in the future that you feel really good about? Yes. Well, I'm not sure when this is going to uh, broadcast. So there's, I can't be quite as candid as I might, Tom, but um, as far, because it's something that hasn't quite happened yet. Uh, but we have plans for expansion on the web, uh, and uh, we're going to need uh, more help for that. Um, we expect, according to our pro, uh, pro forma numbers, we expect that they will be we'll reach the pre-COVID uh, numbers and surpass them before the end of this year. And also, there's the usual uh, things you can't talk about that might involve real estate. Well, we will just leave it at that. And. Um Switching gears a little bit here, Dave, I want to know about you personally. Um, seems like you're a busy man. How do you keep everything straight? What are your personal organizational tools? A clipboard, a tablet, and a pen. Man, if I hadn't ever beat that kind of discipline into my head way back when I was just operations manager of this place, uh, I never would have survived. Uh, you just got to write everything down because no matter how good you are, if you're busy, like so many of us are with, and I don't know an awful lot of people in the radio business anymore that don't have three or four different job titles. It's just the way it is. And of course, when you own the joint, <laughs> uh, everything's your job. Uh, but you've got, I've got separate categories. I have administrative and ownership. And then I have, I have an on-air shift. I'm up at 3.30 every morning getting ready and doing morning drive. So we have the programming part of it there. And then I have the, um, and I keep, by the way, the help uh, personnel separate from administrative. So that uh, administrative is where you do planning and looking ahead and setting things up and enabling of the staff. The staff tends to be addressing people individually. And uh, that has worked very well for me. My management style, I don't have meetings, 
accept if something's really, I mean, the, everybody knows we're about the, something's about to hit the proverbial fan if Dave calls a meeting of everybody. Um, and I seldom, seldom put out memos. Uh, it's always one-on-one individual uh, talking to each and every person. And that's because people, it's, it's not just treating people as you treat yourself. Everybody wants to be treated the way they want to be treated. And your goal, if you can do it, and thank God my operation is small enough that I can, is that at least the people I, I touch every day, I talk to every day, and I talk to them about uh, announcements, about what we're planning, about what how it might affect them individually, even if it's just a text or a phone call, and because you get that feedback from them and they have questions and everybody understands a whole lot better. You don't have those lingering resentments because believe me, they can smile to your face and be a little dissatisfied and go home. And what's the next thing that happens? Anybody who's been in management for a long time, managed people for a long time, knows the next thing that happens is they grumble to their spouse and their spouse convinces them something's wrong with Dave. Something's wrong with the organization. You got to get out of there. And it's just because of some lingering little frustration that I didn't address because I didn't know about it. Well, I know about it when I talk to them one-on-one. Key, it's, it's absolutely key in my management style. Well, it clearly has worked, especially when you have a staff where the rookie has been there with you for nine years. That's say it all a lot. Dave Richards, any parting words you'd like to share with our audience? Well, um, yeah, I suppose, um, don't, don't ever weaken. <laughs> There's times, uh, if, uh, the listener is in any, uh, form of management, of course, middle management is straight from double H E double hockey sticks. I mean, uh, now you've got to take care of people below you, people above you, people to the side. It's good training for being at the top where everybody hates you, um, because you can't please everybody. Uh, but when you're, if you have a, a top management position, as I think many of the people who are listening to this broadcast may have, um, just don't neglect your own mental health. That's important because the the baloney, uh, the stuff keeps coming at you, and it's like you're a hockey goalie, and you're in your 27th consecutive period in goal, and it just never stops to give you a rest. But there's got to be a time, there's got to be a way where you will quietly go off to the side where there's nobody and just scream at the wall. Just, just let yourself be bummed out for a very short period of time, knowing that you're taking a little teaspoon of medicine for yourself and let yourself be bummed out. Don't keep burying it and denying it. Look at the situation that's bad and say, oh my goodness, this could happen, that could happen. And then after you've come to terms with how bad it could be, then go back and see how it is now. And it'll give you a clearer perspective of how to come back re-energized and to solve the problems and keep the negatives from outweighing the positives. And as the Chinese say, fall down seven times, get up eight. As long as you have one more in the get up column, you made it. Well, it goes without saying some very important advice, particularly uh, with the times that uh, this podcast is being recorded under. And I just can't thank you enough, uh, Dave Richards, for sharing your cool radio story with us today. Well, thanks for uh, letting me talk uh, with you, Tom. I don't get a chance to say these things to too many people, and I hope that it's benefited in some way someone who's listening in. Even if it's just a little kernel of an idea, it gives them some perspective on what they have to do. And, Tom, you have a great service, and I wish you all the success in the world.
Appreciate that. And I agree. I think one little kernel of which you gave us numerous ones. So uh, thank you. Thanks again. A pleasure. Well, we are not through here on the Cool Radio Stories podcast. We're going to check in on our audio column we call Digging Into Digital. A chance for you to maybe learn uh, some different things about the digital world out there and ways that you may be able to turn it into some money for you and your station. It's time to Dig Into Digital. Our segment on how you can use digital to unleash the power of your station. Here's our digital guide, Zhang Wanzhong, CEO of Radiomax. With website, you want to make sure with your mobile that you're promoting your mobile right at the top of your page. We talked about in the past about having making sure you got that listen button on your website for the people that are listening on the website. But you also want to make sure that you have access for people to easily get to where they download your mobile app. Promote your mobile app, have a direct link to the Apple App Store, the Android Google Play Store, so that people, if they open up your website on their phone or on the computer, they can get right to your app to download it. So you're using your website to promote mobile. Then on mobile, you want to make sure that your mobile app provider has a way that the listener can click on your website so that the website comes up right within the mobile. And what I mean by that. Going back to if you're thinking about updating your website, you need to make sure your website is mobile responsive. I'm sure a bunch of people out there are saying, yeah, duh. <laughs> but I'm, there's some people that you may not have thought about that. If you've got an older website, it may not translate well on a mobile phone. And I've seen a lot of them. You pull up the website and you're trying to stretch it and pull it, trying to read different content. So when you think about upgrading your website, make sure that it's mobile responsive so that when the listener pulls up the website on the phone, either by directly going there or going there from your mobile app, that they get the experience that it looks good on the mobile phone. It's easy to read. It's easy to get to the content. So at the end of the day, what you want to do is bundle those assets. I would look at social, website, and mobile, package those together, and come up with a good plan that you can deliver to your advertisers. And if you're just dipping your toe into the water on this, get those assets together and go to one of your existing clients and give them a one-month campaign for free. It's going to show you how the results can be driven so that you can actually build the campaign and structure your pricing so that you can go after those new clients. That's the way to get started. We'll talk in further episodes about how you can get more sophisticated, but this is a really easy way to get started, and I think your advertisers really appreciate that you've actually dipped your toe into digital. That's John Wanzung, CEO of Radiomax. For more on using digital to unleash the power of your station, visit radiomax.co. Well, that concludes another episode of Cool Radio Story. We thank Dave Richards once again for sharing his cool radio story with us today. We appreciate your listenership. If you do got any uh, questions about digital, about streaming your radio station, or about building a new mobile app, please give us a call or check us out online at coolradiostreaming.com. You've been listening to Cool Radio Stories, a production of Cool Radio Streaming. For more information, show notes, guest profiles, and more, visit CoolRadioStories.com and subscribe to the podcast at Apple iTunes, Overcast, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts.